podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host Leanne Prescott and joining me as usual is your other host Tom Holmes. Tom, how are you? Yep, all good with me. Uh, got a day off today which was nice. Um, obviously got the bank holiday weekend off which will be good fun. Um, and the Reds are in action soon which is a relief because it's been far too long since I've watched Liverpool play. Yeah, it's been a pretty um, horrible international break uh, for us English folk at least. Um, and it's a more than welcome return to Liverpool football, especially with Manchester City and Everton on the horizon. So joining us today is Adam Patricio. Adam, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Reporting in from sunny Colombia. So all right for some. <laughs> yeah, I heard, uh, I heard you guys are having some rough weather up there. I feel, I feel really terrible about that. It's <laughs> not horrendous. It's not as bad as it was a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's probably nothing on Colombia, but. I'll try to uh, I'll try to keep the tropical birds to uh, to keep it down a little bit behind me. <laughs> All right, so let's get uh, straight down to it then, and into Adam's article, which discusses the recent speculation around Emre Can and a potential summer switch. So there's been some recent quotes from German media, I think it was, regarding Chan speaking about playing for a big club next season. So obviously that took controversy, and that it sort of got um, blown up into out of proportion with Twitter being the way it is and social media and things. So talk us through your article, Adam, on the midfielder and how you view the whole situation as to whether he's going to leave in the summer and, and what position that will leave Liverpool in. Yeah, so first off, I would say, yeah, Liverpool don't want to obviously get into the habit of letting some of their best players leave every summer. We've talked about that uh, in previous podcasts, obviously, but... Um, if you were going to lose a central midfielder, uh, this might be the year where it would be the softest blow, just considering all the uh, potential options that are out there. Uh, you know, even uh, just from one team like Lyon, I mean, they have several options just on one team that would seem to fit with Liverpool. Or, you know, there, I mentioned in the article there's multiple uh, midfielders that we could sign whose names start with the letter ND, which is a rare combination of consonants. But, um, yeah, there's just, there's so many different options out there. And even, uh, Marco Grujic, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna make Tom laugh here, but, uh, you know, he is at least showing some signs, um, on his loan spell. So, uh, so that could be an outside shot as well. And, um, you know, so I think if we were ever gonna lose somebody like Chan, um, you know, it would be great if we learned that he signed a new contract tomorrow, but, you know, if any of the reports are true, which he's sort of downplaying, if any of the reports are true of the money that he's asking for, um, then, uh, or sort of just the general demands that he's making, then, you know, maybe it's good for all parties to move on and, uh, bring in some new talent. Uh, and based on, you know, the, the moves that are, the Edwards and Klopp have made over the past few windows, it just seems like they certainly, uh, know what they're looking for. And if they're not, willing to push the boat out for Emre Chan, then maybe that's the right move. I, for one, am a huge fan of the idea that we let go 
uh, a full international who's one of the best central midfielders in Europe. I'm, re- I'm replacing with a lad who's been semi-decent on loan at Cardiff. That sounds like a really, really solid plan. <laughs> no, in all, in, all seri- in all seriousness, um, I do agree with the article to the extent that I don't think losing someone like Emery Chan is as big a deal as it has been over the years. We'll come to that sort of thing later on in the show. But um, I do I do agree with you to the extent that I'm not necessarily panicking about losing Emery, if that makes sense, in the way that I wouldn't be, in the way that I don't even, I mean, I, I, you know, when Coutinho left in the, when, in the, in the January window, I was like the first one to come out and say, look, this club is going places with or without Phil. We're going to sign a decent replacement for him. We don't need to panic here. Like, you know, I was one of the first people to turn around and go, you know what? Losing Phil is not the big deal that everyone's making it out to be. Um, what I will say, uh, on Emre is that I don't agree that he's that easily replaceable. I don't agree that we should necessarily be considering it as not big deal to be losing him and what I will say and I mean this is another thing that we'll come to later in the later in the discussion but I'm not sure spending 50 million quid to effectively replace someone who you're letting go for free is in any way shape or form smart business I, I, I'd agree with that uh, very much so I think if you're looking at people like Coutinho and Suarez and, and even maybe Daniel Sturridge not to a, the same extent but if he was in his prime and he left that type of thing losing Emery Chan wouldn't have the same impact per se but actually we can talk about possible replacements, and we will later on, as Tom said, but it is a hard blow to lose such a talented young player in the first place, especially when we're building this this project in many ways under Jurgen Klopp. And we'll come on to replacements, as I said, in, in a couple of minutes. But we've seen how settled Chan has become in the team, and he's offered a really, really good blanket uh, in terms of defensive cover. He's also contributed greatly in terms of the press. And just to add some stats in, um, I think it was Gags who collected these on the pressing aspect of uh, Emery Chan's game. But 28 presses per 90 minutes, uh, that's three higher than Jordan Henderson, just for a bit of context. And his press leads to a shot every 235 minutes, as opposed to Henderson, which is 305 minutes. So again, won't his, you know, losing him or potentially losing him have a big impact, not just overall on the team, as itself, but actually on this idea of pressing right from midfield and pressing right from the front and this high energy style. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's a little bit hard to anticipate. You know, every player seems to take a jump in terms of their pressing actions uh, when they when they come to Liverpool. Certainly, we've seen that with Oxley Chamberlain, the distance that he runs and the amount of pressing actions that he, that he uh, performs each game is a huge jump from what he did at Arsenal. Um, and I would imagine that if we signed Ndidi or Ndombele or Rebio or one of those names, then you would see a similar kind of jump in, in the number of presses that they would perform versus what they're doing at uh, their current clubs. So I think that's like a really tough comparison to make. Um, Emre is going to be... He's not going to be easy to replace, as you guys said. I mean, it, it may be that it costs 50 million pounds to to, to replace him. But um, when you look at, if you take seriously the contract demands that were reported over the life of a contract, if we were to pay him uh, 200,000 pounds per week, it would be something like in the 40 million range as it is. So, you know, as you guys said, it's it's not ideal, but at least there are 
options out there to replace him. I don't think Liverpool have as many holes as they usually go into a summer having. And so, I mean, if you could come out of a summer uh, with the team mostly intact, Emery Chan missing, and replace them, and then had you know another attacking option come into the team, you know, I would take my chances in terms of the league and going far into the Champions League for next season. So, you know, it's like, as Tom said, it's not a panic type of situation. It's just an annoyance of a situation for me. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. The wages argument doesn't stack up to me, Adam. I'm sorry. I mean, I, one, Emery's not going to be asking for 200 grand a week. That's nonsense. That's absolute bullshit in the press. There's not, and, but I'm not, like, this is, and it's not as if we're going to be replacing <laughs> those 200 grand wages with, with zero, is it? It's not as if we bring sure. in, say, in Dombele or Jorginho that they're going to be demanding 30k wages, are they? They're going to be asking for at least 100k plus, which is roughly right. what Emre would be asking for anyway. Like, if you if you accept that signing a top-class central midfielder to replace Emre is going to cost us in terms of wages somewhat close to what Emre is going to cost us wages, you know, 50 million quid. We need we need to spend that money on other areas. I, I, pr- I appreciate we've got more money to spend, but we don't have, you know, 100 million quid to go and... We're, we're, not, we're still not Man City, we're still not PSU. We need to be economical with how we spend our funds. And there's no way that there is that there's a situation here where we don't end up having to spend a chunk of money on a player that we simply don't need if we keep Emery. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, listen, what, you know, back of the napkin calculations, what's the best case scenario that maybe you come out with, I don't know, who would be the cheapest out of that group in Dombele? The best case scenario is we keep Emery. Like, right. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny, that is but the I'm best just, case scenario. I'm, yeah. I'm saying re- replacing him, cheapest scenario would probably be somebody like Ndombele, maybe that's Maybe that's thirty million and something like you said, like a hundred million or a hundred thousand pounds a week. So, yeah, <laughs> no, no matter what, it's a it's an expensive hit. But the thing the thing is, you know, we I think we talked about this at the very beginning of the season that Emre might leave because there were some rumors back then. And you know, I would be surprised if he leaves if he doesn't go to to Italy because it just seems like a fit for his style of play, and he'd be able to. Maybe even be like an attacking midfielder in a league like that, just because of the speed of play and everything else. So, um, you know, it just seems like it's something that he's had his mind set on, or maybe not him, maybe his agent. Um, just that this has sort of been in the works for a long time. They sort of like manufactured the move to Liverpool in the first place. So it wouldn't be far fetched to think that they've been planning the next move after Liverpool for a long time. And it just seems like no matter what is thrown at them, and we don't know what it is, but you know, you know, Tom, if, if you're saying that he'd be okay with somewhere, let's, let's say 125,000 a week, you know, obviously we must have offered that to him at this Why? point. So. Why? There's been absolutely no suggestion we've offered anywhere near yeah. what he wants. Right. There's been, but there's been no, there's been no suggestion we've made him a decent enough contract offer. That's part of the issue for me. The club hasn't in any way indicated that they've offered him close to that. This time, six months ago, at the start, uh, not sorry, this time last year, back end of last season, right? The talk was that Emery wanted 100k, and that was outrageous. That was the talk less than a year ago. Less than a year right. ago, the suggestion that Liverpool might offer him 100k was considered outrageous. And now you're turning around, like, you know, not that much longer down the cycle later and suggesting we must have offered more than 100k. I don't think we've offered him, I don't think we've offered him close to what he's worth. And that's what pees me off the most. I really don't think we've 
made him a reasonable contract offer. That's me. <laughs> it's sort of like... And I also, it's, I also it's, disagree it reminds with you. Me, it reminds me of the last six months of uh, the Raheem Sterling saga where, you know, it seemed like every couple of months uh, the rumored demand would go up and that, you know, everybody would be asking themselves, why didn't we just give him this X months ago? And, you know, and it kept on escalating. And it seems like the same situation with, with Chen. But it just, it just seems to me, if they're not, if they're not offering him in that range, then why not? Is there something? I don't, that's <laughs> is, the question I'm he, asking. Like... He, but, but I'm saying there has to be, you know, we, we've, we've lauded this back office team in, in terms of the moves that they've made. So if they're not offering that to him, is it because he's just made it clear that he's moving on, or is it because he's, they he's, just think that there's better there's better fits for a club system out there? Do they want somebody think, more like Jorginho? I don't know. I think, I think the, the problem here is we don't really know in terms of what the club is doing to keep Chan. We don't know what Chan's demands are and whether it's just that he wants assurance of Naby is going to come in and is he going to get the same game time. Um, but we can speculate about that and we can give our opinions, but the truth is we don't really know. So I think I prefer to focus on the Liverpool side of things. And let's say Chan does go in the summer. Um, Adam, your article looks at possible replacements and there are quite a number, um, as as you say in the article, one of which is Marco Gruic, uh, who Tom mentioned briefly earlier. So we'll start with him as a, as a potential replacement. And just talk us through why you think maybe he could do a job and, and could he do a job for Liverpool? Because yes, he's doing all right at Cardiff, but again, that's a big step up for a player who's still relatively young and he's not really had any Premier League games under his belt so far. Yeah, but he's always fantastic against Barcelona. <laughs> you have to take that into account. Now, I mean, I, I think that obviously it would be a long shot for him, just as it would be for any of the for any of the youth team players, whether it's Harry Wilson or any of these guys to, to come up and get regular minutes next year. But he's got as good a chance as any of them, for sure. And I think if you're looking at a midfield three combination where you've got Naby Keita on one side and maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain on the other side, uh, I think they would be able to they'd be able to cause enough chaos in terms of the press where Grudich would just be able to pick up the pieces. And then if anybody gets by them, We've seen for even his brief minutes uh, where he's played for Liverpool that he'll just go out and kick the guy. So, you know, <laughs> we might we might need a little bit of that anyways in the team. So I think he could he could actually like add some physicality to, to where we don't really uh, have that in spades. You know, like I said, for, for any of the young players to, to make that leap, it's going to take a lot of work for them in the summer and a lot for them to prove to Klopp that they could do it. But he certainly has as much a chance as any of the young players that we have and and he might be uh he might be a fit he's certainly he's certainly standing out at Cardiff it's not as if he's just sort of uh uh making the grade he's standing out as one of their best players yeah yeah and he's he's sort of got a good combination of defensive attributes in terms of 2.2 tackles per game 1.8 inceptions over nine matches uh, for Cardiff as in per game there as well so he's got that defensive contribution. He's also gone forward and we've seen at times in preseason what he can do in that respect as well. So he has got that mix to his game. Um, for me personally, before I go to you, Tom, 
I would, um, we've spoken about this on previous podcasts with Alex, um, but my pick would be in Diddy. I think he's very good. And he, again, he offers that blanket to the back four. He breaks up play for the opposition and he really just allows you to get back control, allows you to dictate the tempo. And yes, he doesn't necessarily have the attacking sense to his game, but with Naby Keita coming in, maybe that, that's a good balance. Um, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think on Rabio, because again, that's been discussed, but, um, it, you know, it, it's an unlikely move to to occur, but again, it's a really, really good option for Liverpool, and we are talking about a lot of good options here. Tom, what do you reckon? Um, to quote Alex, I think Rabiot's a pipe dream. Um, I think there's no way PSG are going to let him go if he's even remotely as good as we think he is. So that's just a non-starter in my opinion. Um, Didi, I think is I don't think he's particularly good. I think he's going to suit someone like Leicester much better than he suits us, so I wouldn't go near him. Um, Don Blay, I've not seen much of, but he sounds decent. Uh, Jorginho, Alex has talked at length about him, so I don't think I've really have anything to add on that one, except I can't, having what I have seen of him, which is uh, a bit more recent, I've watched him a few games. I agree with Alex that he's not, uh, not going to do the defensive work as well as we might want someone like Emery to do. So we would need someone else to cover the defensive side. To be honest, I don't, I just, I just find these sorts of discussions really, um, just not pointless, but I don't really see there's any much merit in them. Because to the extent that we don't know who the club are going to be linked with yet, we don't know that Emery's going yet, and realistically, whoever I think, I think I mean Adam makes the point in the article. We don't know what club and Emery's going to pop out, pull out the magic hat. They know better than anyone. I mean, look at Bobby Firmino for example. The club was scouting him for. I mean, I don't know if you guys have read Mel Reddy's phenomenal piece about the scouting of Bobby Firmino, but the club were about four steps ahead of anyone else on that one. And when everyone signed him, it was like, oh, okay, we've signed Bobby Firmino, cool. But, like, you know, the club had already done so much homework. Um, so, yeah, for me, the question of who replaces Chan is not particularly interesting. I'm, I've kind of, I've kind of reached the stage now where I'm like, it's the middle of March. I'm, I don't really want to talk about transfers that much. Obviously, with something like Emery, it's a bit different. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to be good enough value for money, considering Emery's already at the club, really. I, it's, I'm just kind of disillusioned with it, really, because I think we'll bring in someone who'll be fine. Bring in someone who will probably be very good. Whoever we bring in is going to be excellent. Do I think that anyone we bring in has got the chance to be significantly better than Emery? Not really. Yeah, I think unless it's Jorginho, style-wise, you know, there's not huge differences between all the other ones that are that are out there. Uh, maybe Mdidi is just so focused defensively that he's sort of at the other end of the scale. We won't buy Mdidi, um, I don't think, personally. I just think he's too dissimilar. He's too different to the type of player that Klopp's consistently gone for. Klopp sure. made it perfectly clear he does not want a defensive midfielder who can't pass the ball properly. That's it. it for me, it's that straightforward. Klopp will not pay, will not pick a DM who isn't a playmaker. He, he, yeah. he hasn't done it in his entire career, in his entire start at Liverpool. He's not going to start now unless unless he's planning on picking someone slightly further forward who's an ex, who's exclusively a playmaker, which I don't see happening either. I mean, you got to think that Real Madrid will shuffle the squad and then Kovacic. He'd be amazing. He's he's to me he's Emre Chan, but, but like plus in all areas. You know, and if you look at his statistics, it sort of reflects that. So uh, he'd be he'd be a great addition to me. Yeah, but like we were saying, I mean, Madrid would be the, mad to let him go though, and they're not going to yeah. let him go at a reasonable price either. He's going to cost eighty million. That's you know that's double. You know that we're already talking. We've gone from thirty slash fifty as being a reasonable. Suddenly we're looking at eighty million to just replace Emre with someone who's not even guaranteed to be as good because let's sure. be honest then, we don't know any of these players are going to come in and make it the sort of instant impact that Emery's already going to guarantee you in the side especially because you mentioned pressing 
you said anyone who comes in is going to automatically up their pressing level. We don't know that that's true. We don't know that someone is going to drop into this side and be able to fit into it. I, I accept it's probable. I accept it's probable that whoever comes in will be able to fit the pressing because Klopp's recruitment has been phenomenal. But that might rule out a lot of the names that we're assuming might be able to drop in. That's the issue. Right. We're, you know, we're assuming that if we sign someone like Kovacic and uh, or Ndombele, for example, I've, as I said, I haven't watched much of Ndombele, if we're assuming if we bring in someone like that, it's because they're able to fit the press. I agree with that, but I think it could go the other way because we're looking for someone who will fit that type of pressing system. It's entirely plausible we won't even look at someone like Kovacic. Depending, obviously, I don't, you know, I haven't looked at Kovacic's pressing. But you take my point. It's entirely plausible yeah. these sorts of players won't even get a look in because of the way that Klopp and um, and they do their business, and that for me is the crux of the issue. Yeah, I, I think with, with uh, Kovacic, he's he's a player who I really really like, but I wouldn't necessarily. Again, I haven't looked at the stats, but. I wouldn't necessarily look at how he plays his game and think, oh, okay, he's someone that really actively presses. He's got that energy and he has that sort of uh, part of his game that Emre Chan does in terms of breaking up possession. Um, that's not to say he doesn't have it, but it's it's sort of less prominent um, when you actually watch him play. Um, the the next question I'd have to ask is, in terms of Emre himself, do you think he's good enough to be seen as an elite level centre midfielder? Um, maybe. Potentially not now, but in the future, has he got that development to his game? Have we seen enough of him and enough consistency to, to warrant him being potentially put in the same bracket as other elite defensive midfielders or, or, or centre midfielders as a whole? Um, because for me personally, I would argue he's not quite there yet. Obviously, he's, he's still a young player. He's still developing and he still needs to work on his consistency. But there's so much talent there and it's very, very clear that he is a very, very good player. And it's not a surprise that teams like Juventus are coming in and, and trying to get him this summer when he's on a free. Yeah, I, I would guess that Emery Chan obviously comes across as a, as a confident kid, and I would guess that he thinks that he can that he can do a lot more than he's doing in the role with Liverpool at the moment. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. You know, we've taken so many players and moved them sort of back a position to make them more effective. He thinks that he can move forward a position and be even more effective than he has in a holding role. Uh, as Tom said, there's a lot of unknowns there. So, um, you know, I think he's probably in his best role. I mean, maybe he'd be better off in a two like we've seen him before. But uh, it's hard to tell, like, what his ceiling would be. Certainly, you know, it might his ceiling might be the same thing that he's doing now, but just with fewer errors, right? It might not be Emre Chan all of a sudden becoming like a massive goal scorer. It might just be the same Emre Chan that we've seen, but just performing at a higher level on a more consistent basis uh, than we've seen recently. Emre's going to walk in. in. In two years' time, Emre would be able to walk into almost any side in Europe. That's my prediction. I think we let him go this summer. He goes to Juve. He'll be running, he'll be running Juve's midfield inside six months. We'll let him go to Bayern. He'll be running Bayern's midfield within a year. He'll be, he's, he's good enough. He's absolutely good enough to be an elite caliber central midfielder, in my opinion. I think the thing that bogs me the most is that he's 24. Give him one year. Or one more, one more year, I reckon, and he hits his peak. That's the kind of age we're looking at here. We're looking at the age where if you give him one more season of proper development with a good coach in a system that plays to his strengths, which doesn't necessarily have to be either deeper or Further forward, I think the way Armfield runs, he could work it perfectly. I say give him 12, we give him one more season at Liverpool 
or give him one more season at Bayern or Juve when he's playing in the heart of midfield, he'll be one of the top central midfielders in Europe. For me, it's not not a question. He will. For me, he will be. I think he's got everything in his locker. Uh, I think the only thing he needs to add is just being trusted more and just having the confidence to go out and play his game consistently. Um, I don't agree he's been inconsistent, which is one of the things that gets leveled towards him. I do agree he's inconsistent to the extent that he'll play nine good games out of ten. Um, to be, and most, for most, for most players in the league, nine out of ten is good enough. I think Bobby Firmino drops good games, nine games out of ten. Sadio Mane, good games, nine games out of ten. But to be like a Mo Salah, a Kevin De Bruyne, uh, you know, an elite player in your position, you need to be dropping nine point, you need to be dropping 99 out of 100. You need to be having it so that your bad games are so rare that they're almost non-existent. And that's where he needs to be at. He needs to take the step up from being a consistent player to being a, you know, game changer, a game changingly consistent player. The sort of player that you don't even question. He's that, he's that consistent. That's, that's my impression of it anyway. Because in my head, he's had two or three really bad games this season. Um, and I think that's it. I think, you know, if you have two or three really bad games a season, that's great. If you can eliminate two or three bad games from your season so that it's, even more consistent than that, which is possible because there are, you know, there are elite level players across Europe who don't have bad games. Or when they do have bad games, it's not that noticeable. I mean, you know what I mean? You're talking about sorts of central midfielders like, no one talks about Kevin De Bruyne having a bad game because it doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's he, you know, he works around it. He still manages to produce. So for me, that's what Emery needs to do. Just needs to be playing in, a, I think, I think, Here's the thing. The thing that bugs me the most is that a lot of people talk about how he's too big for his boots because he says he wants to play for a top club. He absolutely is good enough to to talk to walk the walk. For me, it's that straightforward. He's not just talking. He absolutely has the ability to back up what he's saying. That, for me, is the key. And that's why we need to be the ones to make sure that he's playing for us, not for anyone else. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, if you lined up all the players, all the central midfielders that we've been talking about here, and let's say they're all on a free... You know, like playground style, picking a team situation. Who's getting picked first? Is it Emre Chan? Uh, I don't think Emre's necessarily getting picked first. Um, I don't think that necessarily means a that he shouldn't be picked first, or b that he's not good enough. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily. Where would saying, take, where, the way, just, the way I would take? I'm just making the point that you know part of the attractiveness of Emre Chan is his ability. Part of it is that he's on a free, right? So. You know, I yeah, know. but I mean, the, the point, part of the point is that he's available, right? I mean, I agree he's right. maybe not necessarily as good as someone like Rabio, but Rabio is already applying his trade at one of the best clubs in Europe. Right. Someone like Kovacic, I think he's, uh, I, I mean, we'll see. I think with Emre, it's a case of waiting and seeing. I think he's better than the majority of the people that we're talking about, or at the very least, he's not a noticeable step down. Um, I think he's a different type of player to Jorginho. Um, Jorginho's older than him, so if you tell me, is Emre going to be better than Jorginho in two years? Again, they're different types of players. Um, Rabio probably not, but Rabio, as I said, it's, it's a pipe dream. He's just, he's, you know, he's that good. Kovacic, I think Emery probably be better than him in a couple of years. And Dombele is hard to say because he's much younger. And Didi, I wouldn't take over Emery at all. Um, so if you're actually asking me which of these players would I take right now over Emery, I would say probably Rabio is the only one I would look at and go, yeah, all right, I think I'd take Rabio over Emery in a heartbeat. But even then, as I said, Rabio is is at PSG right now, and he's bossing it. So it's not that straightforward. And the other thing is, these players aren't available on the free. So we can't act as if they are, is my point. Like, I agree with you that 
I agree with you. I understand the hypothetical. I do get where you're coming from. I just don't agree with it. Is my point. I don't agree that that's a fair comparison. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying that when when people throw out there that you know he has to be good because all these all the top clubs in Europe are after him. But they are. You, you <laughs> say, well, I appreciate he's free, but this is yeah. Bayern Munich and Juventus. They're not going to sign sure. someone yeah. who's not who's not that good. These are not clubs that don't have to spend money. They are big sure. clubs that are comfortable spending money. If they thought there was a better option out there that for um, than Emery Chan who was achievable at a reasonable price, they'd be going for him. Yeah. Well. You know, as we've said before, I think he's therefore he, he's, 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 a great, he's a great he's a great fit for Juve anyway. So I think that all around that probably makes sense for them. You know, I think I think in the case of the other clubs, it probably is a bigger factor that he's that he's on a free. But um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I wish it were more straightforward, obviously, but uh, but at least there are backup options out there. I agree with you on that one. I I, do, I mean, ultimately, I do agree with you. It's not going to be uh, it's not going to cost us a, it's not the sort of decision that's going to cost us a title but I do think look having to spend having to spend 50 million quid to replace one of your best players and he's comfortably our best central midfielder having to spend 50 million quid to replace one of your best midfielders you're letting you're letting go on a free is just stupid that's my take on it it's just stupid and it's 50 million quid we could spend on something better than that that's my take on it and yeah alright if we get someone in like Jorginho, or we get someone like Kovacic, or we get someone who's brilliant and bosses that midfield for, for you know, 30, 40 million quid, that's phenomenal. But I think it's a, it's very, very easy to sit here and say, we'll just spend 40 quid on a great set, on a world-class central midfielder. It's entirely another thing to actually go out and pick the right central midfielder, get the player that you want for the price that you want, and then integrate them into the system before the new season starts. It's doable. I mean, we've done it before, but I think it's easy. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually go out and do it, especially when you've already got the player that you're effectively talking about in your squad. That's yeah, I think my, that's, that's I think my sort of that's along the, along those lines. I mean, I think it is a tough spot for Edwards to be in to say, you know, if he's got to go out there and sort of anticipate what the midfield is going to look like with Keita in it, not really knowing exactly how that's going to play out, and then you got to pick the sixth to, to play alongside him that you think is going to be the perfect fit. Not knowing any of those variables is um, is, is not going to be an easy task, but uh, you know uh, he's he's on a roll, so why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> why not just go with him? I think it's I think it, overall it's just a case of Emery Chan's obviously a very very good player. He he offers a lot to Liverpool. We want him to stay, um, particularly given he's an established first team player. Um, but there's a growing expectation that he's probably going to leave just basis of you know media reports and things like that and there's been no talk of a coming together in terms of demands of the player and the club we don't know as i said we don't know what Klopp and, and the club are offering him um, but as of yet there's been no agreement and there are good alternatives out there in the market but it is a case of everyone wanting you know i, I would agree with tom the best case scenario is emery chan stays um but we'll have to see what happens on that one um we'll round off there I think we're all pretty much in agreement. It's not going to kill us uh, to lose Emre Chan, but at the same time, if we can keep him, we definitely should do so. He's a player that's young. Uh, he's vibrant. He's got a lot of progress and a lot of development that he can do, but he will become a world-class player. Um, and, and, you know, we want him to fulfil that at Liverpool. Um, but I'll pass on to Tom and we'll talk through Joe's article. Yeah, um, Joe has written a really, really good article about Liverpool's identity. And... Um, 
this is a, uh, an article that I'd absolutely go out and recommend that you read. Joe talks a bit about how, uh, how you know, after the Rafa era and with the Roy era, and looking at before Clock Henry, sort of 2015, this was a club that really didn't have a shape, didn't really have an identity, didn't really have a coherent system or a really coherent plan, and how this was a club in a bit of crisis and, our club that, and a, a club that Klopp has turned around. And, um, and the way that Klopp has turned this club around is by instilling this identity, this sort of, this clear sense of what Liverpool is, what Liverpool needs to be and what Liverpool can be, relying on the likes, and relying on the likes of Bobby Firmino to embrace that, his gag impressive style and how that style is combined with pace, combined with power, combined with the likes of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. And piece by piece, you're starting to see this, um, this identity build its way throughout the team and ethos. And I mean, it's, it's stuff like having quick players who can hit you hard on the counter attack and pressing them the high ball upfield. But it's also stuff like instilling a team ethic that nobody is bigger than the team and stuff like selling Felipe Coutinho, which is the sort of thing that other teams wouldn't even think about is the sort of thing that for Klopp is just part of the identity of Liverpool football club. And to an extent, it's something that Klopp has brought in. Equally, it's something that Liverpool Football Club has always had that just almost needed to be rediscovered. I think Joe hits the nail on the head in a number of ways. He talks about how that identity has taken us forward and how it needs to be taken us further forward. And he also talks about how we need an identity. We need to be a club that has an overall ethos and philosophy beyond just let's spend loads of money on good players because that's because we can't compete with the likes of PSG and Man United and the transfer market because we don't have the sort of endless funds to just be throwing money at people until it works. So um, it's a really good article by Joe. I really, really recommend you read it. Um, and I'll start by asking you, Adam, what you thought of the article. Um, what were your immediate takeaways from it? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Tom. I mean, it just makes... For, for Liverpool to overcome the financial advantages of the two Manchester clubs, they have to have an identity. They have to, players, talented players in Europe need to understand what Liverpool is all about. And moreover than that, just that Liverpool is going to enhance, um, them as a player. And, you know, I think it's also a huge advantage to us of what's happening at United. United is basically the polar opposite. They don't really have an identity except for playing shit football. And, uh, they're making players worse. So we're, we're on the opposite end of that. So we, even if there's a talented player out there and, and United want them and we want them, they have to be at least weighing in their head. Like, you know, do I go for 25% more per week to, to United and maybe even risk my career because of Mourinho and the way that he plays? Or do I go uh, and put my faith in Jurgen Klopp and be pretty certain of how much uh, time I'm gonna get every week. Be pretty certain of the style of play I'm gonna have, where I'm gonna, where I'm gonna be playing, um, that I'm gonna move forward in my career, all those things. You know, I think, and I think Spurs have something similar going on, and they also are in a similar position of where they really have to have that identity. You know, I think Arsenal sort of lost their identity, and we see where that's where that's getting them, and Chelsea as well. So, um, so yeah, you know, I totally agree with the article. It makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, we will, we will maybe talk a little bit more, uh, in a bit about how other clubs around us are struggling for their identity. I mean, you mentioned Arsenal, of course, and we talked a bit about Man United already. But, um, Leanne, just moving back briefly to us, um, what, what do you see the state of this place being 
like before Klopp came. So let's talk uh, roughly summer 2015 is the sort of time we're talking about. So, you know, the months leading up to uh, Rogers' department and Klopp's, Rogers' departure, sorry, and Klopp's arrival. What was the sense of identity like there? I mean, obviously, Joe Lewis was not really having a sense of identity, but how, how deep do you think the issues were at that stage before Klopp came in? And what was, how big was the need for uh, an ethos and identity to sort of unify them? Yeah, I think, you know, there, there was big divisions in terms of not just on the field, but also off the field. You're looking at Brendan Rodgers and this whole idea of a transfer committee and that, that background stuff. And it, it does have a, a impact on, you know, the fans, the players, the overall, um, you know, ethos around the team, the atmosphere around the team and the club itself. And I think there were, these divisions were quite apparent. Um, you know, it, it wasn't closed doors type things. It was pretty obvious what was going on behind the scenes. Rogers obviously wasn't happy with a couple of signings and, you know, it just felt a little bit disjointed. And then Klopp came in. He's obviously a very vibrant manager, which helps. He's very passionate on the sidelines. I know a lot of people, especially rivals, don't tend to like that. But actually, I think that's really at the heart of this idea of Liverpool rebuilding an identity and, you know, refining their identity because he his passion has really brought back a cohesion between not just the fans and the players, but the fans and the manager. Uh, the backroom staff, you know, we're all buying into his long-term project. And um, Joe hits the nail on the head for me. As a player, as prospective player anyway, yes, you could have all the money in the world from the likes of Man U, Man City. Um, but if you're looking at Liverpool, you're not just looking at right here and right now. You're looking to buy into Klopp's long-term project. We've seen Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think, talked about it when he joined. Naby Keita mentioned it as well. Um, and, and Virgil van Dijk as well. So there is this idea that there is a long-term project being built in which you're, you envisage yourself not just playing for Klopp's team, but really buying into the Liverpool culture and the ethos around the club. And I think that's something that Klopp has really, really brought back that wasn't there under Rodgers. And that's not really a, a negative on Rodgers. That's just the fact that, you know, I, I think Klopp is the key. We needed this vibrancy back at Liverpool and this this sense of energy. Um, and, you know, Klopp has done that and, and he's the, the one to take us forward. I loved, yeah. I mean, the key words for me that you used are energy and long-term project. And these are obviously both, both phrases that, um, that Joe uses in his article. Um, but, but Adam, how important to you is this concept of energy to Klopp's project? And how important is the idea of a long-term project to what Liverpool are trying to do? How integral is Klopp? to this whole thing, do you think? I think it's huge. And, you know, one thing is that it's Klopp. The other thing is that he's on, how many years does he have left? Six on his existing deal. You know, the thing is, that's a longer time period than most players are going to sign here for four or five-year deals. So you come in and you're already thinking to yourself, well, this manager's going to be here the entire time. And you just, there's just, the number of situations like that in Europe, he's probably, there's probably two or three, you know, and and not at clubs at the the profile that the Liverpool are finding themselves at right now. So I think it's huge, you know, and Klopp obviously makes a spectacle of himself on the sidelines, and, and that's got to uh, <laughs> that's got to be noticed by other players and especially younger players. They got to love the energy, they got to love the enthusiasm that he shows for the game. And the patience that he shows for players that he doesn't, um, he's not one to, to really like attack players in the press, 
going back to Mourinho and what he does. Um, so, you know, again, like we were talking previously, you've got a handful of potential replacements out there for Emre Chan. And the thing that makes you not really concerned about that is that you know, one, that we're going to be able to target them with, with whatever Edwards is doing on his laptop. And two, that we're going to be able to recruit them with Jurgen Klopp. And that's, that's really a fantastic tandem for Liverpool. And I hope it continues for a long time. Yeah. Completely. Um, Klopp is really, really important to this project. And Leanne, just going back to something that we touched on already, how important is the need for a project, do you think? If we consider how the likes of PSG, Man City, Man United, even the likes of you know Barcelona and Real Madrid are shaped up in Europe, how important is it that Liverpool have to find a different way to close the gap? And how important is someone like Klopp to closing that gap? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, again, as Joe touches on in the article, there's a lot of money in football now and, and they're all got such huge investors coming from abroad and investing in the likes of Man City, uh, Man U, Chelsea, etc. And so for a team like Liverpool, it's very, very hard to come along and to bid uh, alongside those type of clubs. So this idea of the long-term project kind of sets us apart from that. Yeah, so, you know, the likes of Chelsea and Man U, you don't look at their teams and, and see this idea of a project going on. Klopp's got the track record. He did it at Borussia Dortmund. He didn't really spend that much money because he was bringing in players who didn't cost that much in moulding them. And we saw that when he came in at Liverpool. He was looking to to pretty much take average players and turn them into something. Um, we've seen that a couple of times with the likes of Lallana. OK, it's not really worked out this season for him, but there is this idea of Klopp is able to mould players. You don't look at Mourinho and get that type of uh, feeling. And so I think this idea of a project is really important, not just um, because of the money in the game at the moment, but because that's that's the ethos of Liverpool. We're, we're moulding for the future. We have a project. It's not just for the here and now. And of course, we all want to win a trophy this season. But I, I take a lot of pleasure in thinking that this is a team that's going somewhere, not just for here and now, but for the next five, ten years. We are on a, a project. Yeah, exactly. I was listening. I was watching um watching Sunday supplement on Sunday, and uh, I, I occasionally watch these sorts of things on Sky. So if you've got anyone good on, um, Guillaume Balag, who obviously has a bad reputation amongst people fans, talking a lot of nonsense about Phil. But he said something really interesting was that they were talking about Bale, and they were saying, "Is Bale going to come to the Premier League?" And he said, "There's, you know, he's not going to go to a club that is willing to gamble on just a big name player for the sake of it, and that rules out the likes of." Chelsea. He said that rules out Liverpool Spurs and Man United, and Liverpool Spurs and Man City. Sorry, and he said the, there's only if you look at the sort of club that would sign Gareth Bale, it's a team that prioritises just signing a big name and hoping that they fit rather than making an intelligent signing. And there's only one club in the Premiership who's going to do that at the moment, and that's Man United. And that just me kind of struck how there's a bit of a backhanded thing, but he was sort of saying you know it just speaks about the ethos of the two clubs that Liverpool are the sort of team that will. I mean, we talked about the Bobby Firmino thing already, you know, the amount of extensive research that goes into seeing is that a player that will fit into our system and into what we're trying to build. And that was even before Klopp came in. So, you know, we start, we, and since Klopp comes in, the acquisitions have just got better and better. You know, um, with Salah, he was a player that we, um, you know, we, we all thought he was a good player when we signed him. I, I personally thought he was going to be world class the minute we signed him. But, um, but the, uh, the team knew exactly what they needed to do. They found a player to fit an exact hole in our side. Van Dyke again. I mean, Van Dyke seems like a more obvious one, 
But even then, if you look at some of the some of the stats that they were actually looking at, he's pretty much the best header, the best header of the ball in Europe that was available. And winning aerial battles was our biggest issue. So they didn't just go out and buy a good centre back. They went out and bought a player that was specific to the problems that our defence was having. So it's very it's very important that off the pitch as well as on the pitch, this idea of a philosophy and identity is being spread out. It's not just Klopp building an identity on the pitch. It's Edwards, it's the scouts, it's everyone from top to bottom understanding their role in the system. And that is, for me, the big difference between what was going on under Rogers era and what's going on now. Under the Rogers era, there was a lot of internal strife because Rogers didn't always agree with the transfer committee. And in this case, the transfer committee are working with Klopp. And I don't, again, I don't think that's necessarily a dig at Rogers. Um, but I think what it is, is it's a clear sign of how Klopp is able to bring everyone on the same path. And it's maybe not, you know, Klopp, because FSC had a clear idea of what they wanted to do when they brought Klopp in. But it's quite clear that the conversations that Klopp have had with the, with the leadership have led to FSG slightly changing their stance to mould with Klopp. Because I don't think the two stances were ever incompatible to begin with. It's just that everything has been able to move a lot more slickly when everyone's on exactly the same page. And that's not something you see at many other top clubs. It's it's even at Man City to at Man City to an extent it is just Pep being allowed free reign to do what Pep is good at, and that's not necessarily what's happening here with Klopp. And I think it does a bit of a don't be wrong. I think Klopp's absolutely vital to what's going on, but I think it does a bit of disservice to the likes of Evans and the rest, and to just suggest this is the, that they're just kind of doing Klopp's bidding, if that makes sense. Because I think the idea of an identity goes deeper than Klopp, although obviously Klopp is the man who has obviously instigated it all. So um yeah. So Adam, sorry yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, Edwards deserves a lot of credit, especially for, you know, looking back at the summer business that we did. Edwards was key to that. So it definitely, definitely goes deeper than Klopp. I think Klopp is just the one that you can really, he's sort of the icon of the, the reinvigoration, if you like, of Liverpool since, since Rogers because of his passion and because of his energy. He will sort of be this talismanic figure, but that's not to say that people in the background like Edwards aren't part of this, you know, for, of an identity again. I think. I mean, yeah. I think Edwards hasn't really got any signings wrong. I think Genie's the only one I'd look at and go, is he? Is he like a good signing? Maybe not. But other than that, like you know, all the signings we've made have been good ones in the last couple of years, especially the big money ones. Um, Adam, then I'll come to you on this next this next sort of area. Looking ahead, what do you think the next step is for this sort of identity to keep building? Because it's all well and good having an identity and having a you know. An ideology, but if we're not competing with the likes of Man City, PSG, Man United, then it's not good enough. So, so what do you think the next step in our progression has to be in order to keep this project, this long-term project, achievable? It's got to be trophies, right? I mean, I, I would say that the next step is, you know, just like we were talking about before, right? If we get a couple of the right additions to this team, and you have a handful of the the youth players step up. You're going to have the depth that's required there to where the FA Cup, the whatever they're going to call the League Cup next year, um, is not going to be an obstacle in terms of putting out a really strong team that's going to be able to get deep into those uh, domestic tournaments. And, you know, if we keep this, if, if Salah stays here, basically, then it's not going to be a surprise if we're in the final eight of the Champions League next year. It's going to be more of an expectation. So then, So then it becomes... How well does the team deal with having expectations? Because that's not something that they've had at this level before. Um, 
and you got to compete for the league, and that's not going to be an easy task with what Pep is doing over at City. You know, and the other the other point that I'd make about City that's sort of um, interesting in contrast to what Liverpool are doing. You know, you see like they'll sign players over there, and if they pick up an injury right off the bat, and then it takes them a couple months to come back, the team's already like moved on without them. You know, <laughs> and I just you know one because of just resources that's not going to happen at, at Liverpool, but uh, you know, from a from the standpoint of attracting players, that's got to be a little. It's got to give you a little bit more peace of mind that if you don't hit the ground running, uh, Klopp's going to have the patience to sort of grow with you. You say that Adam Lallana was one of our key players last season. He got injured at the start of the season. We've moved on without him. We sold Phil Coutinho in January, and we've not missed him at all. So I don't necessarily agree with you that if we um we don't have the sort of the depth to go out and just replace, not just replace, but you know, you know, to go out and you know, make the in injuries a big issue. Because, you know, as I say, you know, our, our starting midfield last season was was Henderson, Vinaldum, Lalana. How many of those are getting into our starting eleven this season and next season? This season, realistically. No, if, we're looking, if we're looking at our best midfield this season, maybe one of them. Next season, I'd be surprised if any of those three started. No, I hear you on that. But if you're a Mendy or a Gundogan or those types of players and you get injured off the bat, and, you know, the team just, the city just moves on without you, whereas, you know, if we had just signed Lana in the offseason for a big money contract, that you know he would have at least gotten a shot, right? I guess so. I, I know I'm, I get what you're saying. I just think I think we can absorb injuries too. I think we have absor- absorbed injuries quite well as a club uh, this season, especially someone like Klein, someone like Lalana. Those are players who were integral in the side last season that just haven't been missed. I mean, you could argue we've missed Klein a bit, but not horrendously ditto Lalana. um so i'll go to you go to you now leanne um and we'll just briefly talk about other play other clubs around us who don't have the identity and are being left behind so i think arsenal's the, the good one here the sort of the salient point how because you, you look at arsenal and they are a team who don't have any sort of underlying philosophy or ethos or identity and as a result they're really really struggling so how important is it to you, to you that we keep Klopp to avoid becoming like Arsenal. Yeah, I think it's it's crucial, and you know, Arsene Wenger. I feel very sorry for him because he's got a lot of stick, and sort of rightly so in many ways, because he should have walked away at a time where he was well thought of at Arsenal amongst their fans. And um, now it's sort of ending very very sourly for him. But he he did give Arsenal a big identity a couple of years back. He obviously did a lot of good things with Arsenal. Um, but he, he sort of waited too long and now, as you said, they're losing their identity. They're falling behind. The players don't really look like they're, they're pulling for anything or buying into anything, any kind of philosophy or, or team ethos. Whereas Klopp, he, he really galvanizes the players. He gets them leading towards one goal. And I think that's really, really important. But again, it comes down to the players as well. The players have to want to fight. They have to think, you know, and fight amongst themselves. They have to, buy into the same idea, buy into the same ethos. And if they don't do that, then it's all well and good having a good manager. But actually, the players have to galvanise themselves too. So, of course, Klopp is important. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is the buck doesn't just stop with him. The players, obviously, are, are very, very important in terms of looking at this long-term project and, and trying to build up and continue to build up this identity that we've got. Uh, but yeah, yeah, keeping Klopp is obviously massive. Um, I don't see him going anywhere, which is always really, really good. Um, and I feel quite comfortable the way Liverpool are going at the moment. As I said before, I think we're in a really, really good position. 
especially compared to the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, even Man U. People will say, okay, well, they're above us in the league. You know, they've beaten us this season, but actually, they don't have a long-term project. They're very much sort of, it's here one year and it's not here the next year. We, we look like we're growing steadily and we're building some consistency and some solidity. And, you know, that, that has to continue and I really, really expect it to. Yeah, I agree. If you look at, if you look at managers, I'd say we're the only member of the top six who know who their manager's going to be in two years. Because with Arsenal, Wenger's got to go at some point, right? Conte's probably not going to make it until the end of the season. Pochettino, you feel, is going to get snapped up by someone bigger. Probably Real Madrid either this summer or next summer. Pep, obviously, we know Pep is sort of manager who likes three or four seasons, then he tends to move on. So you never, with City, even with Pep, you never know quite when Pep's going to just decide he's had enough. And then obviously with, with Man United and Mourinho, that's, you know, a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. Um, Adam, I'll give you the final say on this one then. Um, if you had to sort of describe the identity that Klopp is building in two or three sentences, how would you go about doing it? Wow, put me on the spot there. No, I mean, like you, like you guys said before, it's a high energy, it's a high energy club. And you know that they're not going to leave anything on the line, right? You're not, everything about club. Everything about Klopp is going for it. And you're not going to have matches where Liverpool are just going to sit back and, you know, hope for a draw or something like that. Even if strategically it made sense in the Champions League, I just, I don't see him playing that way. And I think in terms of especially young players that are looking at a potential club to go to, that's what you're looking for. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to sit back and defend if you're like a $50 million attacking winger that's that signed you know so um you know i think i think he's doing really almost everything right uh we can quibble about a few tactical tactical things that Klopp does but um in terms of his personality and where he's taking liverpool uh there's really nothing that you can say about it yeah i completely agree so um so adam i'll stick with you then uh it's been a pretty good show is there anything other than your memory article that you want to plug this week that's it for now, Tom. I'm sure I'll have something uh, by the end of the week or so, but um, sort of uh, limited in my Wi-Fi capacity here in the tropics, so I know you feel terribly for me. My heart is is bleeding, bleeding so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, Leanne, is there anything you want to plug this week? I know you've got an article out at the moment, right? Yeah, so I've got an article out at the moment, which people might think is a little bit of a strange comparison. Um, but it's on Liverpool's attack and just looking at how three years ago we had the likes of Lambert, Balotelli and Barini and how basically it's been a remarkable remarkable upgrade since then to, to Salah, to Mane, to Firmino. And also a little bit of a comparison, it's just a brief one, uh, but Gerard commented on how uh, the trio have been really, really good and how perhaps they're comparable to Sturridge, Suarez and Sterling. Um, so I just had a little bit of a look there, um, albeit without the, the title charge, obviously. Um, but that's out at the moment, and I should have an article out in the next few days just about Joe Gomez. Um, if he is injured, as people expect him to be, who should come in for the likes of City, for Everton, even for Crystal Palace, should Nathaniel Klein or could Nathaniel Klein get his foot back in the door? Uh, but yeah, that should be out in the next few days. I'm actually really interested to see what you have to say there. Me and my friend were having this conversation the other day and we were both a bit like, ooh, but you know what is the answer here? It's a tough one. Um, yeah, as for me, I have got an article out at the moment on Bobby Firmino. I've done a sort of a really complete sort of overview of Firmino's play, how he's stacking up against the likes of Lukaku and Morata this season and um, 
how he's stacking up against his previous seasons as well, so how he's played in the last few years. Um, I've also got some stuff about his style, the way he works, all that kind of stuff. So just call him a complete look at Mino as a player. Then I've got another article coming out very soon on Emre Chan, kind of the counterpoint to what Adam said and a lot of kind of what I've said in this article about. But more of that, I sort of went into went into a bit more about the contract situation and how it's unfair of us to be too harsh on him. And just sort of saying, like, you know, well, bottom line is he's our best midfielder and we shouldn't be looking to get rid of him or we shouldn't be looking to really let him go. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it from me. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Adam. And as ever, thank you, Leanne. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We shall be back uh, again next week, usual sort of time, Thursday, Friday. Uh, we haven't obviously planned it yet. But um, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Podcast Network.